0: Good evening, it's a tremendous chus for me to speak after Mo'ev, Rabbi, or Avshekht, Shalita. Our topics are really two sides of the same coin. I brought the uh, official uh, poster. We just heard what is Orthodox, and I was supposed to hear what is not. And the whole series of groups... I'll just read it: Charedal, Machmer, Centrist, Mekel, Tziony, Hasidish, Charedi, Open, Aguda, Traditional, Modern, Mizrahi, Yeshivish, Chabad. That's straight from the uh the sign. I'd like to begin with a by referring to the Thirteen Principles of Faith of the Rambam, which are found in every seder. The animamins, not the Rambam's words, yes, but a fairly close approximation of the Rambam's principles as articulated in the Pirush Mishnayis, in the last paragraph of Sanhedrin, as well as in the Chuz Tshuva. I'd like to begin by saying that these thirteen principles have been accepted by Claudius Yisrael. And as such, are binding. We are duty bound to follow these principles as cardinal principles. As the Imam says, one who does not believe in any of these principles is considered what he calls a kaifer, a min, a pakaris. Different terms are being used by the Imam in different places, in different details. Yes, there could be some technicalities within the 13 principles. Just to give one example, the fifth principle, There's a whole discussion, if you probably are aware, in the various forum, but certain uh, excerpts, again, printed in the same sitter. Whether you may say them, or you may not say them, or malache Elyon, this is, this is a well-known dispute. B'chayim Voloshna has his opinions in these matters, and others disagree. So, we can say one of two things. Either that of the 13 principles of the Rambam, 12 and a half have been accepted, and a half of one maybe was not accepted. Or, perhaps we could say that the Rambam never meant to prohibit these activities. If one looks carefully in the Chuz per with the official formulation exists of the Rambam over this particular principle, he says, one may not be oveyed, one may not serve some intermediary, which implies that there's a belief that the intermediary has his own intrinsic power, whether it be a star or, a, or an angel, etc. Whereas, what we have in our Siddur could be compared, as many have, to what the Gemara says, you're permitted to go, you should go, to a chacham Shabir to Daven, if somebody is sick, and he has the chacham to intercede. They're not giving the chacham any intrinsic power. So again, I'm just giving one example of where one of the principles of the Rambam is not completely clear, clear what he meant. But this is um, the fifth principle. We go on to the two main principles I want to discuss. Number eight. Shekhala <laughs> Torah the Torah we have, as the Torah was given by, to Hashem and Moshe, to Moshe Rabbeinu, Sinai. Number nine, Shizosa HaTorah, etc. The Torah will not change. These two are accepted principles. There is a, uh, a book by uh, Professor Mark Shapiro about the 13 principles of the Rambam. He says they never really were accepted. He starts nitpicking with each and every one, almost of the 13. But this is literally nitpicking. Uh, we can argue in details, but certainly in broad strokes, these principles of Rambam are accepted. The one potential exception, as I said before, the fifth, but according to my understanding, it, it's also been accepted. Someone who denied one of these principles, either denied Torah and Hashemayim, or denied the immutability of Torah and generally speaking, generally speaking, <coughs> it's not orthodox, and, as a rule, did not consider himself orthodox. The Reform, who clearly, at least at one point in time, said there's an abrogation of the law, the law no longer applies, or Torah was never given in a shamayim, and that includes, as we heard before, Torah Shabbat Peh, they didn't call themselves orthodox, they they called themselves a new name. The name was Reform. That was Reform, (laughs) as a matter of fact. The very name Orthodox, historically, came about as a reaction to reform. You won't find the name Orthodox describing rabbis uh, before approximately uh, 1800. You just won't find it. There was no need. We were, we were, we were observant Jews. We kept Torah and mitzvahs. So we accepted the Yudhima of the Rambam. And that was it. It's no need for any name. This was authentic Judaism. What happened was, reform began did not accept these principles. So as long as reform was a small group, we could say, okay, we are are Judaism, and this is not Judaism. But what do you do when, unfortunately, due to our many sins, the reform and their followers became a majority, as happened first in Germany, and unfortunately it moved eastward. Now what do you do? Should we say that this is not Judaism? You have to say it's not authentic Judaism. Because to say it's not Judaism, it means that most Jews are not part of Judaism. Uh, there's a whole discussion, you may remember, it happened, that Gudas Sarabona made a statement in California some years back, and it was misrepresented in the press, is that they said if you're not, orthodox, you're not Jewish, they never said that, they said it's not Judaism, they made it, it's not authentic Judaism. So the term that was coined at the time was orthodox. Historically, if you look in the history books, at the beginning it was objections. You're limiting us, we are Judaism, what are you calling us orthodox for? But after a while, it became an accepted term, historically. Orthodox literally means, author means straight. Like you go got to be orthopedist, right? Make sure things are straight. And dox means das, or deos, or beliefs, fundamental beliefs. Orthodox, not orthoprax. Prax means what you do, and dox means what you think. And as we said before, the fundamental disputes originally came from the deos. When the reform did not accept these principles of the Rambam, number eight and nine, and this led to the fracturing of Kallah Yisrael into self-proclaimed reform and the reactive Orthodox. They've considered themselves to be authentic Judaism. Truth is, the truth is, generally speaking, ever since then, when I talk about it, about two hundred years, almost everyone. Who denies these principles does not call himself orthodox. So it's almost a self-definition. Reform is certainly not orthodox. And therefore, it's, it's, it's not so bad. You know, it's, it's sort of almost self-descriptive. There, is a, uh, there, there can be notable exceptions here and there, rarities, but still to be noted. Unfortunately, there is uh, an opinion out there, uh, self-proclaimed orthodox rabbi slash theologian who maintained that after the Holocaust, mitzvahs are no longer binding. This seems to me to be a clear uh, denial of the ninth principle of the Rambah, that the Torah will not change. This is a very serious, its, it's at least from my opinion, <coughs> breach with orthodoxy and, and the, the, the fact that such an individual can consider himself orthodox uh, notwithstanding then we have conservative conservative, I quote certain studies that they're the, they're the largest branch of Judaism in this country conservative, so what's conservative? you might say it's in Yiddish nishtahin and her. they're not clearly saying that the Torah should be abrogated completely the law is no longer binding, as reform says. On the other hand, they are not in sync with the orthodox way of thinking. So what are they? What exactly do they believe? They're different, it's not clear, it's not all monolithic. Some say that yes, we believe in the halachic system, we have a halachic committee, but in the modern age, the facts have changed so dramatically and profoundly that it's impossible to keep the Torah as it was once kept and therefore and therefore this particular law no longer applies. So, they say, well, I reform. Some conservatives are like, reform. The law changes. Others say the law can't change, but the facts changed. But the facts changed to an extent that we can no longer observe the Torah as it was understood earlier. Let's give one example. The famous decision of, I I think it's called the rabbinic assembly or their their rabbinic arm, their halachic arm to permit driving to shul on Shabbos. One has to only read some of the uh, more recent uh, works of conservative rabbis who said, say now retrospectively, that was the biggest mistake they ever made because that sort of gave away the store. Yet, at the time that it was proclaimed, there were different ways to say it. One is, the the law is abrogated along the lines of reform. Others said, no, we keep the law, but the conditions have changed so dramatically. The Rav the Levracha said, and he used it only as a melitza, because we cannot add to the 13 principles of faith. We dare not add Lo Sosif, pentigra. If one adds, Chalila, someone else can, can detract. But he said, if I could add uh, another principle, I would say my principle is that not only can the Torah never change, but it will be possible to observe the Torah in every time and in every place. There will never be a time or place where the Torah cannot be observed. Yes, there are certain cases where there are difficult circumstances with the Torah itself built in certain leniencies, we know about Shasad Chak as it's, it's built into the system. But such a dramatic break that's permissible to drive to Shulan on Shabbos because now we live in suburbias, etc., etc., this, he felt, is absolutely unacceptable and is against and if what he considered to be a, a very basic principle. And the truth is, there were those in the conservative movement who said, we follow the halacha. The halacha is that in one opinion in the Talmud you're permitted to desecrate the Shabbos in order to, that a mitzvah be performed where do we find such a concept? Oh, the Talmid No, Rabbi Leza de Mila Rabbi Leza said that it's permissible to fulfill the mitzvah of Mila on Shabbos to chop wood and to make fires and make a knife and not just is it permissible but it's even uh, something which is laudatory and in his town, they actually did it. So too, right? same thing. We're going to drive on Shabbos, even though we know that driving to shul on Shabbos is one of the thirty-nine kar- uh, malachas of Shabbos. But we're going to do a mitzvah. We're going to shul. We forbid driving to go shopping. We're only allowed to drive to go to shul. This was a, an opinion out there at the time. I'm not familiar with the present uh, composition of the Conservative rabbinate, but at one point in time, this was being uh, proposed. It's wrong twice. Suffice it to say, it's obviously wrong, but twice it's wrong. Number one, uh, there's no mitzvah in our Torah that is fulfilled in a typical uh, Shabbat service that cannot be fulfilled at home. And number two, and for our purpose more importantly, the view of Rabbi Lezder has not been accepted. The view of Rabbi has not been accepted. And once the Talmud makes a decision and tells us that a particular view is the normative one, any study of the other view, while certainly a keem of Talmud Torah, it may not be kept halacha lemaisen. Uh, there's, there's certain rules within the within the Talmud, and once those rules are established, we pascan like the Rabbim against Rabbi Lezer, One dare not follow Rabbi Lezer's rule, even in the original case, the case of Mila. If you have Mila on Shabbos. I want to follow Rabbi Lezer. Ah, I'm going to take a, a knife and I'm going to make it, put on a fire and chop wood. I'm following Rabbi Lezer. No, you can't do that anymore nowadays. That would be a capital offense. It would be an Isis we, we don't administer skila nowadays. But the person would be considered a Mechal Shabbos. What do you mean? Rebbe Lez is you. I, my Rebbe is such a great Shia. Explain Rebbe Lez. Oh, fantastic Shia. <laughs> Wonderful. With all the lumbdas. That's all the lumbdas. But Allah it may no longer be followed. That's an absolute statement. It may be true that Elo, Elo, Divol, as it said about the various views of the, of the Tanoim but nonetheless, there's a bottom line. And the bottom line is that we do not follow the opinion of Rabbi Lezir, it may not be followed. This is very, very important to, to understand. Now, what will happen if somebody says, I have a certain psaq, and I claim it's not against Talmud Bavli"? I understand, I'm, I'm not going to go against Talmud Bavli. I claim it's not against Talmud Bavli. But it seems to everybody else that it is against the Talmud. So the question becomes, is, is this rabbi having the right to his opinion? And is there a right for others to follow his opinion? So Rav Shekhtar spoke about it in his own words. I'm not such a uh, give it to, to words of my own. I would like to quote from a, an earlier source who talks about this very example of Rabbi Lezer and the Rabbonah. And my source is Shuvas Igris Moshe, the first page, the first volume, the first page, entitled Hakdama. Moshe was a tremendous honor, had all the, all the meters of the God knew everything, was a tremendous honor, is asking, How can I write the Sefer? I shouldn't really answer these questions. But what can you do? We have no choice. Every generation has to answer the questions that are posed to it. Right, so to, to every generation is oson They have to answer to the best of their ability. This is false Every rav has to do his best to achieve the truth, as that chacham understands. Achrei shei ein karoy levar halocha b'shasa b'polskim kifikocho. He checked out all the sources and Chasten Post to the best of his ability, and it has to be obviously a considerable ability. Bekovid Rosh, with ultimate seriousness. Uvi Yira Hashem Yisbarach, with absolute Yirishamai. Veniralosha Kainu Psaka psak who hu He views it as the truth to the best of his ability. Umechuyu of Lohoros Af, in Beetz ga'ya Gaia Klape Shmaya, Sheeno <Hebrew> Kennepevish. As long as there is no the of a not against the Even though the really the psakship is different, but in his mind this is the correct psak, and to his mind it's not anywhere against shas. He gets chare. So Rabbi Moshe is writing his shuvus. In his opinion, these are true shuvus, not against shas anywhere, and others disagree. Doesn't matter. He's mechuyev to pasuk. What's his proof? <laughs> there was a city in Eretz Yisrael, Shabbos Kuf Laman, that when the Romans came and made a against Mila, since they followed the Rebbe, Rabbi Elezer, they got a schar that this particular city, there was no exera; they could keep doing Mila. Even though ha Aliba ali Nifsa dedina nifzak shalok, Rabbi Elezer, vuchiv skila b'mezid, vichatas b'shoge, doesn't matter, they, they, they followed their Rebbe, they got schar for it, and this is all the Machlokas and Rav Moshe goes on and on. So what do we see? That in order to be qualified to give a Pesach, you need all these qualifications that Rav Moshe is describing here in his Akdomo. And then, even if the p'sak is not correct by some objective standard, doesn't matter. The Rabbi has not only has a right to pass he has an obligation to Pesach. If he is qualified in the, with, with all these criteria, that being the case, his adherents, his followers, his townspeople are required to follow him and are rewarded for following him. Even though, objectively speaking, it turns out that the p'sak is not the real, the really correct p'sak. This is page one of Shuva Sigras Moshe. It blows on page one. It's a prerequisite for any p'sak halacha. Rav Moshe had many, many Pesach which were sort of against the flow, against the grain. But he had all these criteria, without a doubt. And whoever knew Rav Moshe, a little bit of, know about Rav Moshe, read about Rav Moshe, just and now his 25th 50 yard set was just uh, very recently. Last week, I think exa- I think it's exactly a week ago. Right? It, was la- it was last Sunday night, I think, exactly a week ago. When, when, whenever, whenever it was... So, you're so, uh, so, so, right, I think it was, it was, it was right, correct, the 13th, right? That's when it was, so it's nine days ago. So, so we lost him 25 years ago, with this, this, great, this great giant. He had every, every single requisite that a person has to have. So today, 25 years later, a generation later, we don't have it. We don't, there's no there's no in America. That's obvious to anyone, it doesn't exist, okay? So as you read us, we have to have a, 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 the, the great Rabbanim of our generation, who have these, you know, these criteria. They know they know Shas as well as Rav Mersha. They know Shas as well as they're able to know. In our generation, their Yediyah is considered to be a idea But they have to have the other things, Kovid Rosh, and Eun and Yerushamayim, that's, that's in every generation. Godless goes down. The others, they have to exist. These are according to the level of our generation. That's important. That's critical. That is critical. If he makes a mistake, and his followers follow him, it's still considered orthodox. But, if the rabbi lacks one of these criteria, then unfortunately, unfortunately, it seems to me, it's part of this ninth eikah of the Rambah. This individual is changing the Torah. He's changing the Torah. Yes, He thinks he's not changing the Torah. He thinks that what he says can conform is not in conflict with the Torah Shabbat that we have. But he's not entitled to his opinion. And therefore, de facto, he's changing the Torah. What about those who follow him? What's the Allah status? In my view, it depends. What do they think about this this rabbi? Do they honestly think that this rabbi has all these criteria? Honest. Honest to goodness. They think he is knowledgeable in Shas and Poskin. And he has Yerushimaim and Kovid Rosh and he's Mikamala Emes. They think all these things, turns out they're wrong. Then it seems to me it's mistaken, but it's still considered to be Orthodox. However, what if they follow this particular rabbi because it's a religion of convenience? This is the answer they want to hear. And they know if they go to this rabbi, they'll hear the answer that they want to hear. They know full well inside that he's not the greatest scholar, perhaps he's not the greatest Yerushimaim. Perhaps he's not the greatest COVID ro- has the greatest COVID ro- seriousness that he that he applies to the halachic system. They know it deep down. Then, unfortunately, they can't hide behind their rabbis. The rabbi said so. You knew full well that the rabbi was not so qualified to render that psak. That's a very serious serious problem. It, it, it borders on a violation of the ninth eek of the Rambam of of changing the Torah. However. If an individual, as we'll call him, a dakdak b'mitzvahs, keeps the mitzvahs, b'diktuk, carefully, then the chazaka is, the presumption is, that there is an adherence to the 13 principles of faith, of the Rambam. That's the chazakah. Even if things are a little bit different, his ashkafas are a little bit different, his his the way he does things is a little bit different, it doesn't matter. Perhaps the greatest battler for the purity of the of the of ideological purity of the last generation, was Shach Zechat Tzadak Levroch. And he expressed himself both with respect to Chassidim, with whom he did not agree, and with respect to uh, on the list over here, we'll call them Chardal, the first one. Chardal, for those who don't know, is not mustard, it, it, it means Charedi individuals who are careful about mitzvahs but they were more nationalistic we, call, we might call it Zionistic, than he, of Shach, uh, was. He viewed them in a very positive way. There are many uh, witnesses who, oh, they have a different opinion, but they're so careful about the mitzvahs, they want to do the right thing. So we do not have to have, do it only my way or the highway. No. A man who was as, as had the purity of Rav Shach was able to include within what he considered to be wonderful Jews, individuals who were Hasidim, individuals who were, I'm just giving two of the particular things from there, from the list. And he considered them wonderful Jews, even though he had strong disagreements with them in certain matters. So what? Why? Because it was a presumption of dictum by They were careful about following the halacha to the best of their ability. They had rabbanim with with whom he had disagreements. That's okay. But there are three other categories here, which uh, is not so clear. We have over here Tziyoni, we have over here modern, we have over here open. These are different terms. Uh, Obviously, we we study each term in contrast to the other terms. So here it seems to me that it depends on this particular situation. There could be some individuals within those particular camps, self-described camps, who do follow Rabbanim who are Tamir Chachamim to the best of their understanding, and the Rabbanim are Tamid Chachamim who are entitled to their opinions. So then it's orthodox, even if you don't like what they say. So it's a mistake. Okay? But it's still orthodox. However, however, if, if, it's not just that the rabbi has a certain tendency to be lenient on the grounds of Shasa Tchak Kediev, which he feels is true and others may feel it's not true. It's really not a Shasa Tchak, it's not a Bedeevit. To the contrary, look how, look how much more diktuk there is now than there was 40, 50 years ago. It was old, that old can, can attest to that fact. So many more people being careful about halacha than, than, than it was then. So many more people going to minyan during the week. I remember when the shuls were empty from Shabbos to Shabbos. So many more women covering their hair, which didn't exist 50 years ago. A lot of achshadara. So maybe we shouldn't be giving in so much. We should, to the contrary, we should hold people to a higher standard. Okay, so a person doesn't realize that, he makes a mistake, is, thinks it's a shah but there's an attempt to follow halacha, even if it's a misguided application of shah tzadchak the and the tiyel it's still within the category of, of orthodox. But, if the rabbi is not qualified, and if the people know that he's not really qualified, but they're following him for the sake of convenience, then it's, it, you run the risk of going against the ninth principle of faith of those at Torah lo tei even if they may call themselves orthodox there's one category here called traditional traditional used to be a group that had no mechitza and a microphone but they but they used an orthodox sitter you know that was uh, for many many places in the world that was the borderline you had no machitza, you weren't considered to be orthodox that was a litmus test for in many places. So that's, that's a question. They don't, they don't consider themselves Orthodox, so we're not required to call them so. But whether they are or not, based upon our criteria, may, may depend. Now, traditional means something different. Not, not that far from here, there's a group that calls itself traditional. Sort of on the borderline. They're not Orthodox, they're not conservative, they're sort of in between. But they, don't, again, don't define themselves as Orthodox, so we're not required to do so. And again, I don't know too much about them, but I have my doubts based on our criteria. Where they would stand. I'd like now to turn to the twelfth principle of the Rambam. A very important principle, the twelfth principle of the Rambam. And the question becomes you know, what are the parameters of this principle? So the Gemara tells us in the Mesech the Sanhedrin, Perik was a man named Hillel who believed that the Mashiach. Had already come. Came already. This is used by some to say, yeah, you see, there are no principles of faith. Look, the, this Hillel was, was, was Hillel a kaifer. Hillel's quoted in, in, in the Gemara. Couldn't have been a kaifer. So the Chassam Sofa is an important shuvah, which he writes as follows When Hillel said what he said, he was not a kaifer, because the principles of the Ramadan were not yet accepted. But now, if someone would say exactly the same words of Hillel, he'd be a koifer. This is not different from in the pure halachic realm. When Rabbi Lezda said what he said, it wasn't yet outvoted by the Besdin, so he could keep it and the people kept and they were rewarded from it. If someone said rabbeleza is right today, he'd be a chi of skill and would be mechal So the halacha is given, lo it's given up to the people, and the people are the senses of tamir hachamim. And there's a fascinating relationship between the tamir hachamim and the people. You know, it's not for now, but the the G'dolei Torah, in effect, at the end of the day, get their power from Clay who 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 established them as, as their halachic leaders. It's, it's a very interesting uh, dialectic. But in any event, it's been now established that you can no longer believe that the Mashiach came. That would be considered to be a for in the Ikri Haramba. So what about Chabat? So, Within the Chabad movement, they call them today a, a, a split between the Meshachists and the non-Meshachists. From what I've been able to determine, and there's a lot, I don't, I'm not the greatest expert in the Chabad movement, but a little bit I know from firsthand experience and from, from reading uh, that there, are, there is a major dispute within the movement. Should they, for example, say the Yichi, yichi for those who don't know, Yechi means, Yechi Adonainu Mareinu Rabbeinu Melech HaMashiach L'Olam You see it on the Yamaka sometimes. Do you say it or don't you say it? So some of Babish and synagogues, they say it, and some don't say it. Those who say it are the Mishachists. Those who don't say it are the non mishachists But the question becomes, those who don't say it, do they believe it? My experience is, the answer to that question is yes, they believe it. But strategically, they feel it's inappropriate, or it's wrong, or it's unhelpful for them to say it out loud. I, I, I'm not speaking just in the Lufthum. I'm speaking from first-hand experience as well as from, uh, from the experience of many others. In which case, you have a serious halachic problem. This belief, and I am forgive the expression, in the second coming of, of, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was in his lifetime already proclaimed Mashiach by many who said, Yechi, in his lifetime, when then it was at least plausible, right? That he is buried and is going to come back again. This is, resembles a different religion. This is this is, seems to go against everything we ever we ever believed in. Does this mean that one who believes in this is an absolute violation of the twelfth principle of the Rambam? Which would mean he's uh unfortunately a kaifa with all the conclusions that the Rambam draws from such individuals. It's a matter of dispute. It seems to me, from my understanding, that the majority of the classical Poskim, those great rabbinical luminaries. In the, in the world that we inhabit, across the spectrum, yeshivish, Hasidish, across the spectrum, feel that while this view is extremely misguided and wrong, and against the tradition of, of, of thousands of years, it may not be an absolute violation of the 12th principle of the Rambam, because you believe in the coming of the Mashiach, see, so you think it's a second coming, okay, but it's not a direct violation. On this basis, many... Uh, members of the orthodox community at large are relying on Chabad, we'll call them the uh, members of the Chabad community, whether Meshichist or non-Meshichist. According to what we said before, there's no major difference. They all believe it, so some say it and some don't. And they're relying upon them for testimony and Gittin and for Kashrus, etc, etc. If you believe that this is a violation of the Ramam's 12th principle, you can't rely upon them. And with, with all the terrible consequences that, that would ensue. But it seems to me again that the majority view, although well, not, that's not the unanimous view, is that it's not an absolute violation of the 12th principle of the Rambam. And therefore, we can consider it, if I may, orthodox. Why? The Chazaka. The Medakling of the Mitzvahs, as they are. And we have to assume that they, they don't mean to, their understanding is not an absolute contravention of this principle of the Rambam. However, this is very painful. There are those Within, unfortunately, within the within the Lubavitch community, unfortunately, that treat the Rebbe as a God, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent, and they pray to him, not to him, that he has the power to do what has to be done to whatever it be to secure the sick and the, you name it down the road, and they go as far as to say Morenu. The next one I'm saying Afra Lepumay before I even say it. You'll see it. I'm not telling you anything which is not out there in the public view. This seems to me to be. I'm sorry, It goes against the Rambam's first two principles, two and three. There's only one God, and this God is Ein Guf. It just, it just can't. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Now there were those who claim that this is nothing more than other statements which exist within other Hasidic communities. Statements which we, perhaps, don't fully grasp, don't don't fully understand. This is simply not the case. Not the case. There are certain statements in certain Hasidic works, going back hundreds of years, which are, mm -hmm, you know, we don't fully grasp them, but nothing so extreme as this. This seems to be, unfortunately, a terrible violation, certainly not orthodox certainly. Of course, the question becomes, the question becomes, how many individuals belong to this camp? This is a very difficult question to ascertain because people say things, they mean this, they say this, they mean this. I don't know what percentage it it, it, cons- it comprises. I'm sad to say that um, one of the experts in the field, Dr. David Berger, as you know, has written extensively about it. And When he wrote his first book in 2001, he says a splinter group, a tiny group, a minuscule group, and therefore, you know, if you accept that the Meshachists are not Kofrim, You can still survive. In his most recent book, this is the, in fact, the third one. He had the English, then he had the Hebrew, then he has the paperback English, which came out, I think, uh, two, two, three years ago. He writes, based on his understanding, he feels, unfortunately, it's crept into double digits, which is a halachic term. It's a miyot and then we have to check everyone to make sure that he's not chaser shalom from this group, And that has ramifications which are staggering. Others debate this and say it's not true. It hasn't reached that percentage. I I just don't know. I have no personal opinion on the matter. I sure hope it hasn't reached that because if it does, then we're really in trouble in Kashrus and in other areas of halacha. Again, even if an individual is a m'shechist or even what we call today a non meshachist but he believes the Rebbe is is coming back a second time, I don't believe he's appropriate as a spiritual leader for the broader community. Notwithstanding the fact that in many places, the individuals such as this are principals of schools and rabbis of shuls, which, called non-Libbavish's, participate. I don't, I I think it's very inappropriate. But that's not our topic for today. Today we're discussing what's orthodox and what is not. I want to make two more points before, before concluding. We mentioned before, and individuals who do things for the sake of convenience are likely uh, not going to be able to defend themselves. I followed the rabbi because I thought he was a big Talmud Chacham. He would do it for the sake of convenience. What if someone is not based on convenience at all? He's based on passionate religion, and is willing to inconvenience himself more than you and me. What then? Is this guarantee that it's Orthodox? So I'd like to, you know, Ezrav, Rav, we've already heard from our, our Rabbi yeah. Tava, from the Parsha. Quote the Parsha, I'm going to also quote the Parsha. i want to quote you the Nitziv, in two places in yesterday's Parsha. It's in Hamek Dover, Perek Tes, Pasuk Vov, and Harchiv Dover, Perek Yud, Pasuk Aleph. And he refers them there to what he wrote in Parsha's Korach as well. There are what he calls there, Tzadikim Gemurim. That's a very strong term. Not just tzedikim gemurim, absolutely righteous people, except for this one failing, that in their religious fervor, in their religious zeal, in their religious passion, lehutim achar avas Hashem. That's what he writes. More, they may have more passion than I have. They, they, they can't get enough of the rebbeinu Shlola. They want to come closer and closer and closer. This was not of a navil. They brought esh zara asher lo tiva osam, an unauthorized fire. A Ketorist. the Ketorist is what brings them close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the self-same mistake of the 250 people of Korach. hachatoim or Benav Shosom says in the Tziv Ki Aza Kamavas Ava They won't give up their lives to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But they did not fill, fulfill HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Do it my way, not your way. But I, I have such passion, I have such zeal, I have such love. But it's misplaced. It's wrong, and of course, as we say, it's not orthodox. You can't write the rule book yourself, despite the fact that you have this passion. Perhaps even passion makes it all the more dangerous. You have to be much more careful not to go against something when that, all that passion is there, because you're more prone to violate the rules precisely because of that passion. And then it's, it Siv writes again in, les, in yesterday's Pasha, is a very dangerous phenomenon. My Rebbe of Racha. had a drush on this too. You can find it in the beautiful sefer Dorosh Dorosh Yosef by Rabbi Avishai David Shlita in Pasha Shemini where the Rav talks about this. He talks about it and he calls it, I'm using his word, you look it up, pagan. It's his word. He says we're supposed to follow the rules and when we follow the rules the next thing comes the passion. We learn Torah, we do mitzvahs well, you're supposed to go into Yom Kippur and come out like, like the way you came in? Chas You keep all the halachas of Yom Kippur and you come out elevated. You observe the Lel Seder, Kedas, Kedin. You come out a different person. But first comes the halacha. Then comes the passion and the, and the spiritual uh, uplifting. But individuals, says thereof, who are into this spiritual uplifting without looking more carefully at what the halacha says, it says they start with a passion and they end up in paganism. And unfortunately, the, the end result is no good. You'll see it. It's in, it's in that beautiful drush that he has over there. And, as was mentioned before by Rav the Shalita, this is what the Rav called, in his language there, ceremonies. The Rav was one of his favorite attacks against ceremonialism, which he called it cheap. He called it, he called it artificial. It was, it was not genuine. And he was very strong uh, mention was made earlier about some of the feminist manifestations so look in tradition, way back in 98, in Agba Rabbi Meiselman Shalito, where he quotes a story of the Rav with Rabbi Kellimer of a woman who wanted to put on uh, tzitzis so the Rav told her an experiment, you know, just try for three months put on four corners without any strings And so she came back after three months and no, oh! I was spiritually uplifting, it was so exciting. I was never in my life so energized spiritually. And the Rav said, you can't, you, you, that's it, us for you. Why? He says, because it wasn't genuine. He just wore playing 4 fork, that, that's nothing. So he had all the passion and the zeal and the lot, but, but it was, it's, it's against halacha, it's not grounded in halacha, it's dangerous and cannot be done. That was his opinion in that particular context. And the same thing that we heard before, the individuals who are now saying that women can read from the Torah and, 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 and a regular dominion and they'll find some rabbi or other, they'll write up that it's okay. But as we heard before, these rabbis are not on the, on the level that we can rely upon them. It's so untraditional, against, against 700 years of clear tradition, we don't know even before that either. It doesn't exist. And those who follow them, why are they following them? because they think that these rabbis are the, are the true uh, purveyors of the Messorah from Harsinai? or because they want to do it. And they want to do it. They already find someone. They'll find someone who will tell them they're allowed to do it. If it's the latter, they cannot hide behind those rabbis. I'm sorry to say. Truth is that here in this country, to my knowledge, that particular phenomenon does not exist by those who consider themselves orthodox. These borderlines and Eretz Yisrael are a big, much bigger problem. I'm told, I'm sorry to say, but I feel I must say it, right here in Teaneck, that there are individuals who, in this country, would never do such a thing, and they go to the holy city of Yerushalayim, and they spend Yontif there, and then they go into these places, which by their own definition are really orthodox, where they have these phenomena. It's, it's, it's not right. It's not right. You should listen to the, to the, to the Rabbonah, your own Rabbonah, in these, in these wonderful communities, and, and no matter where you are, whether you're here or whether you're there, In any event, whether it's orthodox or not, stay far away. I've been asked, how dare you judge my intentions? I I assume the intentions are good, to the contrary. The intentions are good, but the facts speak for themselves, like in my Rebbe's case. If you're all excited about a four-corner garment with no strings, so, you could have good intentions. It doesn't matter. So that's what the Nesiv is explaining to us. It doesn't matter. This is maybe based upon religious passion and fervor, but it's still not orthodox, not acceptable. A final Nikudah. Isn't there a Rambam who tells us in Mamrim, that even if someone is an absolute Kofir Min, Apokoros, you give them whatever you want. It's a cantor called Tinuk Kshinishba. Tino Kshinishba means he was brought up in the wrong fashion. So too today. These phenomena that we're describing today, which What is not? Not orthodox. Isn't it true that many of these individuals or we call Tinoch Shanishba, this is the way they were brought up? The answer is yes. But Tinoch Shanishba is only in terms of how we deal with the individual, with the person, not how we deal with the position. It's very important to understand. Something could be terribly wrong, but the individual is treated with compassion because that individual is a Tino Shanishba. After all, the Christians are also Tino Shanishba. Huh? That's how they were taught by their father and their grandfather and their great-grandfather, but the, the divinity of, uh, you know, I have to tell you what, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. The, pers- the, 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 the opinion is absolutely to be rejected. It's not Judaism, so too, if it's not authentic Judaism in all language, it's not Orthodox Judaism. I made reference to the parsha to yesterday's parsha. I want to conclude with a reference to this comic parsha. Actually, a pasuk which we at the very beginning of the parsha. The Meshikokhma writes in in Yud Gimel Pasukimel. Viroha ha-kohen, ha-kohen es anega, ha-kohen. Why viro'o? The Kohen sees the the nega and the vira'ohu ha So he understands virahu does not refer to the nega refers to the person. First you see the nega, and then you see the person. So you see the person, the nega is tome, has a sim and tumma. no question about it. Look on the skin, this is a sim and tumma. Now you have to look at the whole person. Perhaps this person, even though his skin contains a nega, should not be pronounced as tomeh in the present circumstance. Why not? Why not? What if he's a chosin? You give him kol shiva, as Rashi quotes in the Pasha from Chazal, or a regel. As the Meshech says, You look at the person. How is this person in the That means that you check this man. You have to look carefully at, this, at the precise words. Of the, of the Meshachach. So yes, we have to be compassionate. Yes, to Reche But this is not to say that we can accept the position. The position is a nega. The nega is Tomei. The person may not be tummy. For whatever considerations, this is a very important distinction, admittedly a very difficult distinction to carry out, but nonetheless critical in our time. And Kaddish Baruch bless us that in the of our adhering to Orthodox principles, each and every one according to his own rabbi, and all the list of this alphabet super that uh, 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 is in the title, all the people have their own rabbonim, but qualified rabbonim are all decidedly Orthodox. We should be Zoche laharomas karanat as we've seen in the last generation, tremendous increase in dictate mishmiras and mitzvahs. In this sqhs, we should be blessed, as Rashi taught us in last week's parsha, Shitishra Shina And in that chus, in turn, to be to the Binyabes Migdashram Hair of Yameinu Amen. Amen. Amen.